Well, take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 37. John 8, verses 37 through 47. Most of you, I think, know that my dad passed away of COVID three years ago in August of 2020. I have this picture. This is the last picture we ever took together about six weeks before he died. I was on vacation. I showed up at his church and we laughed because we discovered that we were both wearing the same shirt. (laughs) We had many differences, but we also had a lot of things in common. For example, I have his eyes. I have his smile. I have a lot of his mannerisms. We both had that same quirky sense of humor that no one seems to appreciate, if I may say so myself. We both have a love of target shooting and convertibles and long road trips and anything to do at all with Route 66. In fact, I'm not quite sure how this happened, but it turns out my father and I, listen to this, we both married women from the same small town in Georgia, even though neither one of us ever lived in the state of, state of Georgia. What are the odds of that? We all understand that children resemble their parents. In fact, as I look out at this congregation, I see how much some of you resemble your parents or how much your children resemble you. We expect this to happen. We expect that children will resemble their parents. I tell you this because just as children will resemble their parents, according to the Word of God, there is a spiritual resemblance of what, as well. According to the Word of God, every child of God will resemble God in their conduct, in their speech, in their way of life. And likewise, every lost person will resemble Satan. Now, in our passage this morning, Jesus is continuing this very long debate with the Pharisees. And when we come to verse 37... The thing that they're now arguing about is this question. Who's your father? Not physically, but spiritually. The Pharisees said, Abraham is our father. And then they came back and said, God is our father. And Jesus said to them, no, the devil is your father. Now, he proceeds to tell them some of the things Uh, the ways that they were guilty of resembling their father, the devil. One of the questions that a lot of people will ask many times is, Pastor, how can I know if someone is truly a child of God? Or how can I know even that I am a child of God? Well, we're going to see in this passage, Jesus mentions some identifying characteristics of someone who is truly a child of God, who has God as their father. Now, we're going to go back and forth a little bit as we study this passage. So let's start off by reading the entire passage in verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. 
I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. I want you to notice several things Jesus points out in this heavy text that we have just read, several things, several characteristics about someone who truly is a child of God. And I want you to notice several times in this text, Jesus points out that God's true children hear his word. God's true children hear his word. Look again at verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You may be descendants of Abraham, Jesus said, but you want to kill me. Now, why is that? What was the real reason? Jesus said, my word has no place in you. Remember, the context here in John 8 is the word that Jesus has spoken about himself, who he claimed to be, the light of the world, the son of God, the I am. This word about Jesus, he said, has no place in you. And by the way, that can also be translated, has no entrance in you. There's no way for it to get in. What Jesus is saying to them strongly reminds us of the parable of the sower and the seed. Jesus said that a sower went out and he sowed his seed, which represents the word of God. He said some of that seed fell on stony ground because it fell upon the stones. It could not penetrate. It could not get in. That's what Jesus is saying about these Pharisees. His words to them just were not getting through. Now, why couldn't his words penetrate their hearts? He tells us in verse 43, he says, you are not able to listen to my word. Notice it's not that they could not physically hear Jesus. Oh, their physical hearing was just fine. The problem is that they could not spiritually hear him. And I want you to think about this. Jesus spoke 
the truest words and the wisest words and the most powerful words that ever a man spoke. And these guys had a front row seat to it all. All the people around them were amazed by Jesus' teaching, but them, nothing. Just nothing. Nothing got through to them. Now, again, we ask the question, why were they unable to listen? Look at verse 45. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Now, here is the key. They could not hear because they would not believe. They could not hear because they would not believe. If they would have been willing, if there would have been at least an openness in their heart to hear and receive God's word, guess what? God is able to open deaf ears. God is able to break up stony ground. They would have heard him, truly heard him, but their inability to hear Jesus was a willful inability. The lost person is not able to, to hear because he does not want to hear, he is not willing to believe, and he rejects the truth before it even reaches his ears. Now, here's the application in verse 47. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. One of the characteristics of someone who is truly God's child, who has indeed been saved, is that he or she hears God's words. Not just this word about Jesus. This really refers to all of God's word. And by the way, this doesn't mean that you are going to understand everything you read every time you read the Bible. But it does mean that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and speak to the child of God, and the believer hears God, Jesus said, because he is of God he will hear because he is ready and willing to give the Word of God a place of honor in his life. So let me ask the question, does this describe you? Is the Word of God a priority in your life? Does the Word of God have a prominent place in your life? Does it speak to you in such a way that it penetrates you and changes you from within. God's true children hear His Word. Jesus said, He who is of God hears God's words. Now, something else that is true about true children of God, God's true children also imitate His character. They imitate His character. Look at verse 38. I speak what I have seen with my Father... And you do what you have seen with your father. Just like a little boy or a little girl will imitate many times their earthly father, Jesus tells the Pharisees that they are doing what they are doing 
because they are imitating their spiritual father. Look at verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Pharisees said, Abraham is our father. And they said that because they were Jews and Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. It was to Abraham that God made this covenant and said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But some Jews and particularly these Pharisees, they had this false belief. They had this belief that Abraham was so good and he was so righteous and he accumulated so much merit that it was not only enough to save him, but it was enough to cover all of his descendants after him. And so there was this belief that because I'm Jewish, I am automatically saved. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible says is that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham had to be saved by faith and we have to be saved by faith as well. But these Pharisees believed that simply having Abraham as their ancestor saved them. Now, please hear me very carefully. Having a godly father is a wonderful thing. If you do or you did, count your blessings, praise God. Having a godly mother is a wonderful thing. Having a godly heritage is a wonderful thing. But it will not save you. A person can come from a godly home and be as lost as lost can be. No one is saved by their pedigree. So Jesus replied... If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. I want you to notice Jesus is being very particular about his wording. A couple of verses earlier, he told them that they were Abraham's descendants. But two verses later, he tells them that they are not Abraham's children. Well, what's the difference? Abraham's children refers to those who are saved in the same way Abraham was. Romans 4.11 says that Abraham is the father to all who believe. If you've been saved by the same God who saved Abraham, the same way Abraham was saved, well, your life should demonstrate the same kind of works that Abraham did. Now, let's talk about those works. Abraham was not perfect. He had his problems. He had this bad habit sometimes of not telling the truth. Got him in trouble a few times, didn't it? But Abraham believed God. Over the course of his life, he obeyed God. When God told Abraham, go to a land I will show you, he went Abraham yielded to his nephew Lot when there was a dispute about the land. He was willing to be wronged for the sake of keeping peace. And it was Abraham who fervently prayed for the people of that 
evil city, Sodom, or Sodom, before God destroyed it. These were the works of Abraham. What about the works of these Pharisees? They were plotting to murder Jesus, a man who had never done them any wrong. All Jesus had done was tell them the truth, love people, cast out demons, heal the sick, care for the outcast, the marginalized, and they hated him for it. So Jesus says, how can you be children of Abraham when you don't resemble him at all? They weren't They weren't doing Abraham's deeds. He said in verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. He's going to tell them who their father is in just a moment. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. By the way, you understand what they're really saying there, right? You understand there's an insult that is embedded in that statement. When they said to Jesus, we were not born of fornication, what they're saying is, we weren't, but you were. They're saying, yeah, Jesus, we've heard the stories. We know about the rumors. We've heard about how your mother, Mary, showed up pregnant before she had even married Joseph. Hey, Jesus, do you even know who your father is? That's what they're saying. And at this point, they hate Jesus so much, they're just grasping for insults, and any insult will do. Abraham clearly is not their father. God clearly is not their father. So that begs the question, who is their father, spiritually speaking? This is where Jesus really drops the hammer. Look at verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's why they were trying to kill him. And does not stand in the truth That's why they were lying about him. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. There isn't anything seeker-sensitive about this, is there? This is not Jesus giving them a pep talk, trying to make them feel better about themselves. He's not tickling their ears. No, this is Jesus telling them the truth, no matter how offensive it might be. And by the way, I have to point out since I'm here, there is no way anyone can read verse 44 and claim that the Bible teaches this false doctrine called the universal fatherhood of God. No one can read this verse and say that the Bible says that God is everyone's Father, and that everyone is a child of God. No, Jesus stood up to these men and said to them, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. These words that Jesus spoke over the Pharisees could really be spoken over, could really be said 
over everyone apart from Christ, apart from grace. This is the natural condition of every man, every woman who has not been saved. And please understand, when Jesus said to them, you are of your father the devil, that doesn't mean that a person literally bows down to and worships the devil. And when Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, that doesn't mean that uh, they are as evil as they could possibly be. It means their will resembles the devil's will. Their desires resemble the devil's desires. That means the devil is the one who actually shapes their character and their belief system and their actions. Uh, Listen, I could take a whole message and just talk about verse 44. There's so much here that could be said, but understand the devil is not some guy wearing red tights with a pitchfork. He's real. He's the personification of evil. He has a degree of authority over this world for a while. And according to Jesus, he is the spiritual father of those who refuse to believe. Now, just as the lost person will imitate the character of their father, the devil, one of the identifying characteristics of a true child of God is that they will imitate God's character. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruits. A good tree will produce good fruit. A corrupt tree will produce evil fruit. You understand that a tree does that because of what it is. An apple tree does not become an apple tree by producing apples. An apple tree produces apples because that's what it already is. And likewise, the child of God will produce good fruit because that's who he or she is. The child of God will imitate God's character because that's already who they are. God's true children will imitate his character. But then one more thing that we see in this text, God's true children love his son. Go back to verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Now, the Pharisees had just accused Jesus of being illegitimate. They just questioned his birth. So Jesus responded by saying he proceeded from God and came from God, that he was sent by God. This is a reference to his virgin birth. It's also a reference to the fact that he existed for eternity past before he was even conceived. But I want you to focus on the beginning of this statement because this is so important. If God were your father, you would love me. That's a very straightforward statement, isn't it? If a man or woman has God as their father, they will love Jesus, period. No loopholes, no exceptions. Now, does this mean that we love Jesus as we ought? No. Does this mean that we love Jesus as much today as hopefully we will tomorrow? No. 
But if Jesus really is who he claimed to be, if he is the Son of God, if he is the I am, then that necessarily means that how a person responds to Jesus is a reflection of where they stand with God. And so, if a person does not believe Jesus, it's because ultimately they do not believe God. If a person hates Jesus, it's because ultimately they hate God. If a person uh, rejects Jesus, it's because they reject God. And if someone loves Jesus, it's because they know God and love God. True believers love Jesus. If God were your father, he said, you would love me. Now, this is so simple, but sometimes we miss it. And sometimes I've noticed that many of us are guilty of, of speaking incorrectly about this. It shows up in the way we talk. For example, sometimes we will see someone who has a real deep hunger for God and someone who has a passion for worship and someone who has a willingness to serve. And what do we say many times about that person? Many times we will look at that person and say, wow, he or she really loves Jesus. As if to say that loving Jesus is a mark of spiritual maturity. As if to say that a person is saved and then they grow, and if they keep on growing, that eventually, maybe, they will love Jesus. No, no, a thousand times no. Listen to me very carefully. Loving Jesus is not a sign of maturity. Loving Jesus is a sign of conversion. In other words, this is where it starts. This is automatic. And we need to stop talking as if loving Jesus is what some super spiritual Christians do. No. Loving Jesus is what Christians do. Over and over again, we see this emphasized in the New Testament where we are described as simply those who love God or those who love Jesus. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We are known as those who love God. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. For whom? For those who love him. Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. 1 Peter 1.7 says, At the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 8 whom having not seen, you love. This is the norm. Followers of Jesus love him. This is the defining characteristic of someone who has been saved. In fact, I'll tell you, I feel a whole lot better about someone who maybe cannot remember the exact day they were saved, but they love Jesus. 
than I do the person who can recite their testimony with eloquence, but they do not love Jesus. Show me someone who does not love Jesus. Show me someone who demonstrates no signs, no evidence whatsoever of loving Jesus. And I will show you someone who is lost, who needs to be saved. To love Jesus means he receives the highest place in your life. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. To truly love Jesus means we love him best, we love him most. We think about those simple words. We say them often, I love Jesus. But what do we really mean when we say those words? I love how John Piper described it. He once said it this way. He said, when I say that I love Jesus, what I'm saying is I admire Jesus more than any other human or angelic being. I enjoy his ways and his words more than I enjoy the ways and words of anyone else. I want his approval more than I want the approval of anyone else. I want to be with him more than I want to be with anyone else. I feel more grateful to him for what he has done for me than I do to anyone else. I trust his words more fully than I trust what anyone else says. I am more glad in his exaltation than in the exaltation of anyone else, including me. That's what I mean when I say I love Jesus. And to that I say amen and amen. You know, I've noticed when you love someone, you really love them. You love to talk about them. You love to brag about them. You will defend them and their honor and their reputation. You know, the other day I was out and about and there was this woman who was in line in front of me. She was upset about something I do not know what. But she was upset and she did what a lot of people do. She took that name, Jesus, and she just shouted it out like it's profanity. In fact, you know what she did? She did it three times. She said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you remember when I told you about that quirky sense of humor that no one appreciates? In that moment, something came over me. I could not help myself. And so I started singing loudly in public, sweetest name I know. Yes, I did that. And she looked at me like, who is this man and why is he singing to me? I tell you that because call me crazy. But when you love someone, you love their name. You love to hear their name. You love to speak their name. You want to honor that name. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. So let me ask you this question. Do you love Jesus? Such a simple question. Do you love Jesus? Does it show what would the people around you say 
I'm not asking if you're perfect. None of us are. I'm not asking if you fail regularly. We all do. I'm not asking if you get it right all of the time. We don't. But can you say, I love Jesus. According to Jesus, not your pastor, according to Jesus, spiritually speaking, everyone has one of two fathers. Either God is your father or the devil is your father. And folks, if you leave this life and the devil is your father, that means you get to spend eternity with the devil in a place called hell. If God is your father, on the other hand, you will hear his word. You will imitate his character. You will love God's son. So let me ask you, do these qualities describe your life? And if not, I have good news for you. And the good news is, if the devil is your father, you can be born again. You can be adopted. You can come into the family of God. And you can have God as your father. Would you join me as we pray? We thank you again, oh God, that you are father to us and that we can be called your children. Not on the basis of who we are, not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of Christ alone, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his righteousness. And for that, God, we thank you. And it is our heart's desire that we would demonstrate these characteristics to all of those around us. And God, we know that uh, none of us get it right all the time. None of us do this perfectly. But would you help us to increasingly, day by day, hear you speak through your word as we open it and read it and place our lives under it as we saturate ourselves in it Help us to hear you speak. Help us to imitate your character to everyone around us. Father, help us to love Jesus even more today than we did yesterday and even more tomorrow than we do today. And if there are any here today who cannot truthfully say that God is their Father, if according to Jesus... The devil is their father. God, I pray that even now you'd knock on the door of their heart, that you would do that miracle that only you can do, that you would enable them miraculously to hear, and that you would enable them to see, that you would break up that stony ground in their hearts so that the word could penetrate it. They would see how much they need Jesus, how much they need a Savior, and that they would have that opportunity to make that choice to call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord and be saved. Father, show all of us in these moments exactly how you would have us to respond to your word. And we give you the thanks and the praise.